coming on Christmas. They're cutting down trees. They're putting up reindeer and singing songs of joy and peace. Oh, I wish I had a river I could skate away on. But it don't snow here. It stays pretty green. I'm gonna make a lot of money, then I'm gonna quit this crazy scene. I wish I had a river I could skate away on. I wish I had a river so long I would teach my feet to Greetings, and welcome to the 32nd edition podcast of Women's Liberation Radio News for this Thursday, December 6, 2018. This is April. On behalf of myself and the collective at WLRN, we wish you a happy winter holiday season in whatever aspect of that you celebrate. Today's program focuses on the concepts of solidarity and sisterhood within the context of our daily lives and what we all need to carry on or just make it through another day. Hear voices captured by Thistle and Jovia of attendees at the Vancouver Rape Relief Center's annual gathering this month to remember the Montreal Massacre of 1989. For those of you unfamiliar with the massacre, 25-year-old Marc Lepin, armed with a rifle and hunting knife, shot 28 people, killing 14 women, before committing suicide on December 6, 1989. He began his attack by entering a classroom at the École Polytechnique in Montreal, Quebec, where he separated male and female students. After claiming he was fighting feminism and calling the women, quote, a bunch of feminists, he shot all nine women in the room, killing six. He then moved through corridors, the cafeteria, another classroom, specifically targeting women to shoot. Overall, he killed 14 women and injured 10 other women and four men in just under 20 minutes before turning the gun on himself. His suicide note claimed political motives and blamed feminists for ruining his life. The Montreal Massacre is the deadliest mass shooting in Canadian history. WLRN's Julia Beck and Thistle Pedersen traveled to Vancouver this month to participate in the Rape Relief Center's Remembrance Gathering and were able to talk to women who are part of our growing feminist movement. In this edition, you will also hear an interview Thistle did with Samantha Berg of JohnStompers.com about what solidarity and sisterhood mean to her, an anti-prostitution and anti-pornography activist. Finally, this edition, you will hear deeply moving commentary from WLRN Sigmund Shiaul. The team at WLRN produces a monthly radio broadcast to break the sound barrier women are blocked by under the status quo rule of men. This blocking of women's discourse we see in all sectors of society, be they conservative, liberal, mainstream, progressive, or radical. The thread that runs through all of American politics except for separatist feminism is male dominance and entitlement in all spheres. Today's edition started off with River by Joni Mitchell. And now, for WLRN's World News segment for this Thursday, December 6, 2018, as written and delivered by Thistle.
Megan Murphy, founder and editor of the popular blog Feminist Current, had her Twitter social media account permanently suspended on the evening of Friday, November 23rd, because of her reference to claims made by a trans-identified male, Jonathan Yaniv, who made 16 human rights complaints against women who refused to wax his genitals, a service they offered to women. Yaniv dropped the case against the beauticians when comments online were discovered which alleged that he was a pedophile and sexual predator. Because Murphy's tweet referred to Yaniv using a male pronoun instead of a female pronoun, Twitter claimed this violated their new policy against misgendering, a policy that was not in place when Murphy posted the tweet about him. In response to a tweet made by a Twitter user who identified himself as Jonathan Yaniv, Murphy simply retweeted with the comment, yeah, that's him. For this, she has been banned permanently from Twitter. The results of this censorship and banning have been multiple and ongoing. On Sunday, December 2nd, Murphy posted to Facebook that she had, quote, received five invitations to publicly speak today, unquote, and that she is swamped with emails of support and media interviews, which is why she hasn't been able to respond and thank everyone. Murphy added, quote, I am completely humbled and moved by your kind words and solidarity, unquote. WLRN is committed to following this story of censorship and trans activist harassment of both journalist Megan Murphy, but also of others who dare to ask questions and point out the inconsistencies and the bizarre and often bullying behaviors of the trans movement. Murphy is scheduled to give a public talk at the Vancouver Public Library on January 10th titled Gender, Identity, Ideology, and Women's Rights. There was a rumor last month that Murphy canceled the talk, but as reported on December 2nd by the Star Vancouver, this rumor was, quote, patently false, unquote. Murphy told Star Metro the cancellation announcement was likely submitted to media outlets by someone who opposed her message. Quote, they're just trying to mess with the event, she told Star Metro in a Sunday morning interview, adding she had no intention of bowing out. Quote, I'm not going to back down. There's no way. I'm not going to stop talking about this. I'm not canceling the event. I'm not going to be bullied into submission. Unquote. WLRN salutes Megan Murphy in her tireless work to bring the public the news and voices of women worldwide. In the United States, women made history during November's midterm elections, winning more seats in Congress than ever before. 92 women won in the House and 10 won in the Senate, joining 10 already in the upper chamber for a total of 112 women, the most women to serve in Congress at once in history. The previous record was 107. Women also hit a series of significant milestones. Deb Haaland and Sharice Davids are the first Native American women elected to Congress. Rashida Talib and Ian Omar are the first Muslim women set to represent their states in the House. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Abby Finkenauer are due to be the youngest women to serve as lawmakers. It is unclear what these wins will mean for the promotion or curtailment of gender self-identity laws, as many liberal and progressive politicians support rollbacks in women's rights and protections, despite evidence that men self-identifying as females encroaches upon the safety and rights of women. A 78-year-old convicted murderer serving a life sentence in a Texas prison has confessed to killing 90 women over nearly four decades. 
which, if his confessions are confirmed, could make him one of the worst serial killers in American history. Samuel Little, who is serving a life term without the possibility of parole after being found guilty in 2014 of three murders in California, confessed to killings in multiple states during an interview with law enforcement officials in May. Police have linked Little, described by the FBI as having a, quote, dark violent streak, to 34 murders and are working to corroborate many others. The FBI, which this week released a report into Little's criminal past, said in a statement, quote, law enforcement has only recently begun unraveling the true extent of his crimes, unquote. In another case of online censorship of feminist journalists, on Friday, November 16th, Gallus Mag of the feminist media site Gender Trender was contacted via email by Sal P of Automatic, the company that administers WordPress.com. He stated, Hello, we received a report regarding the publication of private and personal information on your blogs, specifically the malicious publication of private details of a person's gender identity. Publishing this type of content is forbidden by our terms of service, and as such, your account has been suspended. At the time of this WLRN report, Gender Trender is still not online and it is unclear when and if it will be restored. The popular magazine Psychology Today published an article on November 28th titled Why is Transgender Identity on the Rise Among Teens? The article cites the study done by Lisa Lippman, a physician and professor of behavioral science at Brown University. She found that over 80% of the youth in her sample were female. In looking into what might be contributing to this trend, Professor Littman reports that many of the youth in the survey had been directly exposed to one or more peers who had recently come out as trans. Also, 63.5% of the parents reported that in the time just before announcing they were trans, their child had exhibited a marked increase in internet and social media consumption. The observation that they no longer recognized their child's voice came up time and again in parental reports. In turn, the similarity between the youth's discourse and trans-positive online content was repeatedly emphasized. Youth were described as, quote, sounding scripted, or, quote, reading from a script, wooden, like a form letter, verbatim, word for word, or practically copy and paste, unquote. The Psychology Today article goes on to comment that the notion reported by parents that rapid onset gender dysphoria, a term Littman coined in her study, appears to be, quote, scripted, is telling. When extreme forms of distress and coping arise through novel social pressures and spread through implicit imitation, strange epidemics of, quote, mass psychogenic illnesses have been documented. These have extended to dancing plagues, possession epidemics on factory floors, fugue states, or epidemics of face twitching. 
These conditions are described as, quote, psychogenic, in other words, originating in the mind, when no underlying physical cause can be determined. But the term sociogenic, which highlights the social context in which these conditions occur, is a better description. It is clear from Lippmann's study that the rise of rapid-onset gender dysphoria, which seems to predominantly involve natal females, points to a complex web of social pressures, changing cultural norms, and new modes of distress and coping that warrant further investigation. For parents, educators, and clinicians alike, caution is warranted in dealing with this growing phenomenon, Psychology Today states. As reported by ABC News on November 23rd, Colombian police have rescued 43 Venezuelan women held captive and forced into prostitution after being lured by the promise of a new life. The women were, quote, recruited in Cucuta, which sits just inside Colombia near the Venezuelan border, and taken to Bogota, the Colombian capital city. A man known as Jason promised the women work and connected them with his associates to organize transport to the capital. Once they arrived, they were received by a, quote, Sandra, who led them to the Los Matires neighborhood. It was here, police say, where their nightmare began. Bogota Security Secretary Jairo Garcia said the women were told everything is going to be okay. When they arrived to Bogota, their IDs were taken and they were locked up, Mr. Garcia said. The women were told they had to work as prostitutes to pay off their transport costs. Some were kept in buildings that operated as bars open to the public, but had cell-like rooms with padlocks on the doors and windows. Police said the women were given just 15 minutes of freedom a day and were constantly threatened and tortured by thugs in the gang. The women were rescued in a series of large-scale raids in Bogota and Cucuta, which saw at least 144 people arrested. In September of 2018, Christine Blasey Ford publicly alleged that the then U.S. Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh sexually assaulted her in Bethesda, Maryland when they were teenagers in the summer of 1982. She testified about her allegations during a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing regarding Kavanaugh's Supreme Court nomination later that month. On November 30th, Feminist Current reported that Ford says she intends to donate her GoFundMe donations, $650,000 raised over two months, to charities that assist sexual assault survivors. On speaking out, Ford said, Although coming forward was terrifying and caused disruption to our lives, I am grateful to have had the opportunity to fulfill my civic duty. Having done so, I am in awe of the many women and men who have written me to share similar life experiences and now have bravely shared their experiences with friends and family, many for the first time. I send you my heartfelt love and support." Unquote. In September, Linda Bellows, the 67-year-old former leader of Lambeth Borough Council, was charged under Section 5 in the UK of the Public Order Act, which bans, quote, threatening or abusive words or behavior that is likely to cause harassment, alarm, or distress, unquote. 
She appeared in Westminster Magistrates Court in late September of this year alongside 43-year-old Rose Venice Allen, who was charged with one count of sending an offensive message by a public communications network after posting a video of Bellow's comments online. The private prosecution brought forward by Juliana Kendall after the Crown Prosecution Service, or the CPS, dropped the case, centers around comments made and broadcast at an, at an event about the Gender Re Recognition Act held in York last November. Bellows, who has previously spoken out about proposed reforms to the Gender Recognition Act, says in the video that having born two children, I think I'm physiologically and in many other senses a female and a woman. But I play football and box, and if any of those bastards come near me, I will take my glasses off and thump them. I am quite prepared to threaten violence because it seems to me politically what they are seeking to do is piss on women." Unquote. Kendall, a trans-identified male who watched the event remotely on a live stream, brought the case forward after the CPS decided not to press charges, claiming the comments were threatening to trans people. Six days ago, the private case was thrown out, and Bellos and Allen were greeted by enthusiastic supporters on the street as they left the court chamber. Julie Bindle on Twitter had this to say upon hearing the news. Quote, the case against Linda Bellows and Venice Allen was thrown out. Let's hope this puts off other trans activists motivated by misogyny, taking private prosecutions against feminists for daring to refuse to capitulate to the Orwellian ideology. Unquote. That concludes WLRN's World News segment for this Thursday, December 6th, 2018. I'm Thistle Patterson. If you have a news tip or story you'd like us to cover, please send us an email to wlrnewscontact at gmail.com and let us know what's going on in your world.
That was Aretha Franklin featuring the Eurythmics, singing Sisters Are Doing It For Themselves. Next up, hear a collage of voices Thistle captured of participants at Vancouver Rape Relief's December annual gathering to remember the victims of the Montreal Massacre of 1989. WLRN's Thistle and Julia attended this year's gathering and took the opportunity to talk with women in attendance to ask them what they feel is important for women to understand around the building of sisterhood and solidarity in our movements. Here's what was captured. What does sisterhood and solidarity mean to you? It means not throwing women under the bus ever, no matter what. It means being there in support of other women, no matter what the cost. It means fighting for the autonomy of all women, yourself, everybody else. That's about it. Sounds wonderful, thank you. May I ask you, when I say the words sisterhood and solidarity, what comes to mind? Sisterhood and solidarity. Um, friends, lesbians, my lesbian group. All right, thank you. When I say the words sisterhood and solidarity, what comes to mind? Good food. Because <laughs> I'm eating right now. Um, understanding, listening, being listened to, and being able to speak my mind. Honestly, without reservation, and knowing that I'll be heard, showing up, uh, mobilizing. All right, thank you so much. All right, when I say the words sisterhood and solidarity, what comes to mind? Liberation. Thank you. Hi, excuse me. Could I ask you a quick question? When I say the words sisterhood and solidarity, what comes to mind? Rape relief, definitely. Yeah, this amazing collective tucked away in Vancouver, and um, the unity that we have, and this place. All right, thank you so much. When I say the words sisterhood and solidarity, what comes to mind? Um, I think of my collective. I think about unity. I think about the way women uh, have each other's backs. And I think about feminism as the best example of sisterhood and solidarity. I think it's an action. It's a verb. It's not... Uh, theory it's a practice all right thank you so much would it be okay for me to get a few words from you two beautiful women for our next podcast um, so our next podcast is dedicated to sisterhood and solidarity what comes to mind when you hear those words Sisterhood and solidarity. I, I think um, I think of the words "no woman is free until all women are free." I think about race and class privilege, and I think about the ways that we can remind ourselves of the different privileges that we have and what we can do to kind of understand where other people are coming from and how to join them in their struggles. Like, I'm a black woman, so my oppressions are different than a white woman's. And I think that, um, like, grouping women um, and talking about feminism and other movements really helps. It's a space for, for people to talk about 
what your life looks like and how it's different from another's. And it makes people aware of those differences and it allows people to join each other in different struggles. And so, yeah. In solidarity as opposed to charity. Yeah, I think that's a really, yeah, that's a great distinction. Yes, yes, you summarized it like perfectly. <laughs> that's very succinct. And how about you? When you hear the words sisterhood and solidarity, what comes to mind? I was listening earlier, just like soaking in the sounds of this room, which you can hear, and there's like a multitude of like voices and laughter. And for me, if that phrase had a sound, it would be this. It would be women from different backgrounds engaging and having conversations, breaking bread, and just like, I don't know, I always believe that love is a revolutionary act, and so it has that strong element of love. Like, I've met Ada, who was just talking prior to me today, and this is the second time we've held hands. <laughs> I know! Yes, there's already a right. sisterhood. This is right here. here. Yes. Right on. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. May I ask you, what's up what do you think of when you hear the words sisterhood and solidarity? Um, so I think of women joined together, so working together for the um, improving the lives of all women. Because um, I think it's important to consider that it's not just thinking about individual women. And I think that helps in some of the more contentious arguments around prostitution or around women-only space. Um, if we think about women as a whole, uh, because say for prostitution, you know, it's overrepresented the women who are poor, um, women of color in prostitution, especially in say Canada, like First Nations women are. So I think if we think of that in that lens, then it helps to show that it would be beneficial if we were trying to work towards abolition of it. And yeah, I think it's for anything that helps to increase women's autonomy and freedom and liberty. Um, so that could be um, you know, security in, the, in their home or the right to um, find their own sexual autonomy, sort of extending that to lesbianism. Um, yeah. All right, thank you so much. Well, we have a basis of unity. So we have all agreed to particular points that kind of guide our work. It's only, you can only read it if you're joining the collective. Um, Is it like a document or like yeah, a list of? Okay. A set of agreements that we've developed over the years. Um, oh, okay. Of how we struggle with one another and um, what we see this work as. So even though a woman may be really different than I am, I know that she's also agreed to this and she's giving of herself to, to doing this work. And so I have so much love and appreciation for her on that basis, even though we, we may be worlds apart otherwise, knowing that these women will always have have your back out in the world that there's so much kind of stacked against us but we do have this this group where um, we're all trying to do the same thing we have means to struggle with one another and mm -hmm. to yeah resolve so we use constructive criticism to um, struggle with each other so we do have a process in place for working through all of that what things come to mind? Um, 
I think a lot of work too, because there, there's a lot of different organizations that are doing work and a lot of uh, um, uh, similar work. Mm-hmm. And so I think um, collaboration is really good. I'm very excited that we were able to collaborate with uh, many organizations um, over the 16 days of action. So we collaborated with um, the Vancouver Rape Relief, with WAVA, with Butterflies and Spirits, with uh, the Aboriginal Front Door, with Sa'al Center, and um, the Pacific Association, First Nations Women. So, yeah, so those are those are some of the things that we need to, to build on. Sisterhood is really important. It's, uh, it's uh, something that um, we're all women, no matter where we come from, and uh, and we all have our struggles, and we all have uh, things that can can lift each other up. So I really believe that we need to have a lot of allies, Indigenous women. We need a lot of allies, and uh, and I'm very happy to be allied with uh, a lot of organizations that do support Indigenous women, that do work with Indigenous women, and. Um, yeah, it's important. It's important because there's a lot of work to do. There's a whole lot of work to do, and uh, we need. To, and we're sharing the work. Um, yeah, and it'd be good if we could all work together, work together more um, closely. Uh, that's what I'm looking forward to with our um, funding that we got for the murdered and missing women. One of the things we're, we're wanting to do is to work uh, more collaboratively and closely with other organizations who are funded to do the same. So we want to see what everyone is doing and make sure that we're, we're working kind of in unison um, together. And we're making sure that all the needs are being met and all the things are being addressed. Uh, because uh, there's just not enough time in the day and there's not enough resources to, to offer all the things that are needed. But if we can work together and make sure that uh, all these different things are touched upon um, and taken care of, then I think that will be much better for Indigenous women. And, uh, families who are who are needing support on this this topic. This song I'm about to sing is called Miss Celia's Blues. <laughs> Cause she scratched it out my head when I was ailing. Sun's going down 
a song from the 1985 film The Color Purple called Miss Seeley's Blues, performed by Tata Vega. Now we turn to an interview Thistle did last month with Samantha Berg of JohnStompers.com about sisterhood and solidarity and the role they play in feminist organizing. Okay, I have Samantha Berg on the line. Samantha, welcome to WLRM. Hi, Thistle. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. This is such an important topic for our listeners in this time that, that we're, these times that we're living in where it's just, you know, I think a lot of people feel, and especially women feel beaten down by what we're seeing in the media and then just the daily male domination that is everywhere. Um, it's really important, I think, for our morale as women and as feminist activists to create our own bubble or island or feeling of solidarity and sisterhood amongst ourselves. And so um, after you talk a little bit about your experiences in the feminist movement and, you know, what you've done as a feminist activist, I'm really interested to hear your ideas on the role of solidarity and sisterhood. Great. Well, my name is Samantha Berg, and um, I grew up in New York, and um, that was where I started getting involved with grassroots citizens lobbying to alleviate the worst aspects of poverty. Like so many young women, I felt the injustice done to females, but I didn't organize my thoughts until reading radical feminists like Catherine McKinnon and Andrea Dworkin. Um, after reading that, I could no longer ignore the interpersonal poison that happens when men rent women's reproductive organs by the hour, also called prostitution. And I jumped wholeheartedly into anti-prostitution radical feminism, and I have been ratifying it up for the past 16 years or so. Um, what that means actually is I've been speaking publicly, writing articles, and organizing women-centered events on prostitution and pornography. Um, in the past few years, I've organized RADFEM conferences in Portland, Oregon, Boston, Toronto, Chicago, and Los Angeles. I like staying very active. I love getting together with women to solve problems. Um, also recently, my latest project was I co-founded Wolf, the Women's Liberation Front, in 2014 with two other women. And I've been helping to organize Wolf Fest. They're festivals that happen in the Pacific Northwest for the past three years now. So I, I think that's a great segue into why organize with women? Why do that at all? Um, I've done co-ed organizing. I've done organizing with men. I still do that. But in 2011, I was invited to keynote a conference in Australia. 
a women-only, intentional women-only space. And even though I've been in women-only spaces before, often at anti-trafficking conferences, I've never been in intentional women-only space before. And I was surprised myself at how much it affected me. I was already in with radical feminism, believing in women, supporting my sisters. But when I got into that space where we all were there for women, as women, there's a palpable difference. Turning a shift in my own consciousness. And I saw the value of women-only organizing for the very first time. Great. And the conference in Chicago was also intentionally women-only. Can you talk about what kind of feeling gets conjured amongst women when there's an intentional women-only space? And is it related to this feeling of sisterhood and solidarity that we're talking about today? These are such hard terms to nail down and, and such feelings that we don't really have a vocabulary very much to speak about. What I can say from my own experiences is, of course, having been with only human groups before, but never with a completely feminist intention, shifts things from, I think, a personal, from my story, hearing me, and more to the collective. And it's not that we didn't hear individual women's stories, but the entire context of them becomes one of broader issues, thinking bigger than ourselves, thinking of our sisters who couldn't make it to the room that day. And I like that intentionality of it. I feel like it, it broadens our perspective that each woman's voice is her own, but it's also an amplification of other women's voices at the same time. So in exploring the concepts of sisterhood and solidarity, how what does the idea of collectivism and collective action have to do with those concepts? I think like any political organizer, you need to create your community. It has to be a community that you can rely on, that has integrity, that people can trust each other in. I don't know that very many political movements will be successful unless you have community. And I think as an early activist in about 2004, 2005, I had run a website that had a PHP EB forum board for anti-prostitution activists online. This was before Facebook, before Twitter, before there was those social media organizing tools. And having been a moderator for that, what I found was we could get women together for individual action. You know, write this consumer group, you know, protest this thing happening here. But a community isn't just people who get together and do things together. They're people who share art together and music and food and all the cultural artifacts that you need to make a community. And um, I, I began to respect that more as I saw the limits of online, online organizing. And so I think that there needs to be a genuine community uprising that's not just on one or two interests. You need to fully invest yourself in the lives of your sisters. Mm-hmm. And what are the benefits of fully investing ourselves in the feminist struggle and the lives of our sisters? I mean, with all of the personal attacks and the bullying and the ostracizing, happening in the larger male-dominated society against women who are feminist activists. You know, like, 
what are the benefits of women committing their lives and their activism to women, to their sisters? Mm-hmm. Well, I imagine every woman will get something different out of it, depending on what they need from it. Um, what I need myself, you know, taking on pornography and prostitution is challenging, and it hits us at the core of our sexuality. And when I have dear non-political friends who say, Sam, you know, I love you, I really cannot go to your seminar on pornography. I understand why they can't go. It's challenging stuff that hits us at our very core. So what I get out of it is a way to get through those very difficult conversations that do leave us traumatized by association. And it's remembering that in these things, They haven't happened to me, but I need to go through them because they are happening to women. They are happening to people I care about, and it's not just all about me. So women give me that community and that strength when I start to burn out, when it gets a bit too much. They pull me back and remind me that it's not all about me. Yeah. What about the women who are listening? And I'm sure there are some listeners out there who feel really alone like, they are outspoken feminists, and they've been shunned and ostracized by both men and women alike because they've expressed their political opinions. I mean, is there – there's not always, like, this warm, fuzzy feeling amongst women and amongst feminists. How – can you talk about examples of, of horizontal hostility in the choice to be a feminist activist and how, you know, some ideas for maybe being able to overcome that and the isolation of feminist activists. Mm-hmm. You know, dealing with people, people being messy creatures by nature, you're always going to have to deal with conflict. You're always going to have to find a way through. When it comes to feminism and radical feminism, what I try to remember is, and I hold on to this a lot, I don't have to like a woman to want women to be free. I don't have to personally have them as my friends. They don't need to be people that I see all the time. I don't have to like you to want you to be free. But I still want you to be free because we all deserve that. That holds me in sometimes when I'm seeing behavior that makes me want to tear my hair out. Um, You asked for an example. I think a good one would be... um, You know, I've done a lot of work with the WOLF, the Women's Liberation Front, since first pulling it together a few years ago. And um, when we were just beginning on that project, um, a person that we trusted to maintain the bank account for donations wound up stealing money. And, of course, this becomes a huge issue. Um, When the board asked for the funds, because we needed to use them, Um, We received increasingly elaborate stories about why we could not access those funds. And it came to a point where we were paralyzed as an organization for several weeks because there were some people who refused to believe that a sister would steal donations from her Radfem sisters. And then there were other people who were trying to convince them that the money was gone and we were not getting it back. And no amount of cajoling and pleading and please, please, where is the money? It was gone. And so for a few weeks, we were paralyzed until we reconciled what happened. And, you know, the person, of course, was 
not cooperative, very combative, started to make accusations of people in Wolf that were you know, then just kicking out defensively. Desperate women with trauma histories will do desperate things. And when you're pulling volunteers together to make something happen, you need to have that trust. And it got violated in just the worst way. You know, but we picked up. We picked up and we moved on and we dealt with it. And I feel like the, the women leaders of Wolf were stronger for having gone through that crucible together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a sense of satisfaction and achievement when you work through conflict and you come out the other side and you feel stronger. Um, mm-hmm. Not that Absolutely. I'm not that I'm saying that I welcome conflict. Certainly. <laughs> I like it when we can have civil discussion and we don't personally attack one another and we can move forward in a logical way with our goals and we have built trust. But when conflict inevitably rears its head, it's an opportunity to build a deeper sisterhood and solidarity with those who are willing to stay and work through it. Mm-hmm. And, and those are the women that you keep around. Those are the women who forge your community. Um, you know, social ma- media makes it very easy to banish people from our lives. It's just as simple as a click and you're gone. And hitting that ban button for frivolous reasons decreases women's networks and, and makes coalition building just that much harder. Now, I'm not saying that you let someone mistreat you. And believe me, this person who stole money from women not going to be a part of our community again. But I would have people listening consider that banishing a woman from your life and from your feminist coalition may be an overly severe punishment for a relatively small disagreement. Try to keep that big picture in mind before you hit the ban button. Right. Right. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add to... WLRN's discussion this month of sisterhood and solidarity. Um, yeah, I would say, again, keeping that big picture in mind, you know, our, our corporate media exploits women's fears and insecurities. It, it would love nothing more than to set us against each other. And our generation of women consumes images made by others, mostly men, at a greater rate than ever before. We are drowning in a sea of woman negative media. Um, and what In that context, I think we need to stop holding other women to impossible standards. I work with anti-prostitution pro-life women, anti-prostitution Republican women, anti-prostitution Christian women, and I will work with any woman seeking to reduce men's demand for prostitution. Because if I held every woman to the standards of purity that men tell us we need to hold women to, our movement would splinter into uselessness. Men of different races, religions, and nations somehow manage to collaborate to keep all women subordinated, and women are going to need to step up our sisterhood game to combat that. Right on. Sisterhood is not just a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's actually a tool for success. And be friends with these women. I mean, yes, you need them for your political needs, but having, breaking bread with someone, having a meal with someone, make a friend. And when you make a friend and you forge a relationship, that relationship will bring so much more to you than you ever thought to even ask for.
Right, which is another benefit of fostering culture, breaking bread, having music, hanging mm-hmm. out, being friends with the women that you're working with in mm-hmm. I used to be very much more goal-oriented in my feminism. It was all about a target. And now I'm enjoying the ride along the way, the friendships I make, the laughs we have, in between doing the hard work. I've learned to step back a little and not just be so goal-oriented. That's great. I'm, I I need to hear that. That's wonderful because I'm a real go-getter type of gal, you know? So Many feminists and, are. Yeah. And sisterhood and solidarity is an end in and of itself because we deserve to just enjoy each other's company. Free exactly. We do. From the presence of men, you know, just in these places that we create that are women-only spaces. We, just for the pure enjoyment of it, you know? Well, the, the ongoing collaboration of women with the Women's Liberation Front is a really good example, I feel, of feminism being done right. The Wolf Leadership is a tight crew of several women from across the USA who created and sustained the mission of Wolf. And we have differences, of course we do but we trust each other's sincerity of purpose and goodwill. And we've been through a lot together in the past few years, and we've learned how to navigate each other's strengths and weaknesses. And I'd say that the Women's Liberation Front leaders who have stuck around have truly grown into their roles and made the organization their own. And I'm very proud to have been a part of Founding Wolf and watching these women take a hold of it and make the most of its mission. How many women are on the leadership team of Women's Liberation Front, and for how long have they been on the team? I'd say it ranges pretty steadily between about five and nine women, give or take, and sometimes they're board members. Um, I was initially a board member getting it going, but I'm no longer a board member now. I'm a consultant and an advisor at this point. So there are stakeholders who don't have titles. You know, radical feminists aren't really all about that structure and that leadership. However, I do think the ethics of leadership are very strong in radical feminism. Let me clarify that. Um, somebody I really respect once said that the job of a leader is not to lead. It's to make new leaders. And I think Wolf respects that leadership ethic in a truly radical way that I'm honored to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of attrition, like women stick around in the leadership circle with Wolf? Yes, in the beginning it was almost even an issue that we had a couple of core dedicated women doing the very hard work of getting Wolf off the ground, and they held on to those roles a little bit longer, myself included. Um, just to try and forge a good foundation. However, after about a year and a half, two years, we recognize that you need to have fresh blood, fresh ideas, new women coming in, and the old guard choosing to step back a little. And so after about a year and a half, two years, um, those of us who started Wolf intentionally took a step back and said, we will be advisors, but we want you women to lead Wolf into its next generation. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that about the inner workings of Wolf and what has made it such a strong, prominent, radical feminist organization. Because we need those organizations. And uh, I hope that a lot more of them spring up. There's one that's uh, springing up now. I don't know if you're aware of it. It's called Feminists in Struggle Together. The um, acronym is FIST. Like, yes, I've seen them. Raising your fist. And that is just a USA-based radical feminist movement. So it'll be interesting to see how that uh, organization evolves and if it's able to stay together. I would love to see more local meetups of radical women. In the Pacific Northwest, we have a particularly strong backbone of radical women going up and down the West Coast from uh, pretty much San Francisco to Vancouver, B.C., Cascadia, all the way. Um, but I, I understand the United States is a very large country, and it's not always easy for someone to travel all the way to one region or another. So I very much encourage local resistance models, local meetups. Get to know your sisters. Get to know your neighbors. Good, sound advice. Well, thank you so much, Samantha Berg. Is there anything else you'd like to leave our listeners who are primarily radical feminists and lesbians with on this fine November day. (laughs) If there's one takeaway on the subject of radical feminism and sisterhood, it would be just remember, you don't have to like a woman to want a woman to be free. So speak out, speak over, speak under, speak Speak loud so I can hear you. I want to know you. I want to hear your real voice. I want to hear your real voice. Your real voice. Your real voice. Your real This, 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 this is WLRN. 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 Women's Liberation Radio News. Women's Liberation Radio News. Women's Liberation Radio News. Women's Liberation Radio News. Solidarity means being sensitive to power and status imbalances amongst women, particularly regarding women who carry more categorical oppressions than we do. Solidarity means taking up other women's liberation from racism, lesbian-hating, class oppression, and imperialism as our own. 
means looking inward at our own internalized misogyny, racism, classism, and lesbian hating. It means asking ourselves how we collude with male power and anti-female oppression and holding ourselves to a higher standard. Living in true feminist solidarity with all womankind is hard work, make no mistake about it. But without this solidarity amongst women, feminism has no roots and no future. We must commit to solidarity with other women if the feminist movement is going to accomplish anything lasting and worthwhile. Ultimately, that brings us into battle with not just male power, but white imperialist power, capitalism, and heteronormativity. It sets us against society and life as we know it, and it means being willing to relinquish our own privileges within these overlapping systems of exploitation and inequality so that all women can be safe, healthy, comfortable, and free. We must also hold other women accountable for their bad behavior and the way they engage in oppression through racism, classism, lesbian hating, and misogyny. Calling each other out on our bad behavior is a form of solidarity with multiply oppressed women and all women in general. If we don't hold each other accountable and call out oppressive and abusive behavior, that racism or classism or lesbian hating or abusiveness will poison our movement and ourselves. Solidarity with women does not mean excusing and justifying oppressive or abusive behavior other women or other feminists commit for the sake of being nice or avoiding confrontation. Ultimately, making feminism easier for more privileged women keeps life difficult for their more oppressed counterparts. When we prioritize the most oppressed women in the world, all women benefit. Acknowledge each woman's individual needs, personal struggles, and limitations the way you would with a friend, rather than only seeing her as a member of the female sex or a fellow feminist working in the political sphere. We are all women, but we are individuals too. We are feminists, but we are also human beings. We're flawed, and sometimes we need to be forgiven. Sometimes we can't give the movement or other women much as we deal with personal problems and the challenge of survival. Sometimes we need support as unique individuals, not just as women having a common experience of misogyny. Make room for each individual woman's humanity in the feminist movement while keeping your eye on the collective prize. Treat other women in feminism and outside of it with respect, care, courtesy, and understanding the way you do your friends. Within the movement, this fosters loyalty amongst women and the ability to set aside personal differences to work together for the cause. We do not have to all like each other or love each other as personal friends but we should strive to show goodwill to each other as women as much as we can. You can dislike a woman as an individual and still want the best for her as much as you do for all other women. We must learn as feminists how to politically and personally disagree with each other while maintaining mutual respect, how to work with other feminists we don't want to be friends with. Feminism is about liberating the entire female sex from male oppression not just the women you like. Friendship and community should be the foundation of feminism in order to create a strong, enduring movement. 
Our love, appreciation, and admiration for other women should guide us as feminists, not our hatred of men and male behavior. It is reasonable, rational, and fair to hate men and what they do, to fight the oppression they visit on females worldwide, and to honor the rage we feel toward men. But when we come to feminism from a place of truly enjoying, loving, and appreciating women, our work takes on a different, more powerful energy. If we build feminist community through our collective appreciation of women instead of our collective resistance to men, our communities will be far more nurturing, resilient, and inspiring to us. If we look for ways to make other women's lives better, instead of staying in a position of defensiveness against men, we'll do more good and experience feminism as truly empowering. Thanks for listening to WLRN's 32nd edition podcast on Sisterhood and Solidarity. I'm April No inviting you to check out the WLRN YouTube channel for compelling videos of talks given by feminists at the Women in Media Conference in Chicago this past June, and to the videos of WLRN's handcrafted podcasts, produced by many with tender, loving care. The WLRN YouTube channel is in development, and we'd love to get you pictures and images to co-create beautiful videos of all of our podcasts. If you're interested in participating in this project, please send me an email to wlrnewscontact at gmail.com. Just put in the subject line, WLRN Podcast Videos, and we can roll up our sleeves together and start making videos that will be cherished by our feminist community for years to come. Our homemade podcasts are released on the first Thursday of every month. Tune in on Thursday, January 3rd, for our 33rd edition on The Censorship of Women's Speech. This is Julia Beck, wishing you a very happy new year. WLRN would like to thank Samantha Berg and the women in attendance at the Vancouver Rape Relief event held at the Vancouver Public Library on December 1st for sharing their thoughts on building our movement and friendships through solidarity and sisterhood. Speaking of solidarity and sisterhood, if you like what WLRN is doing, please consider becoming a listener sponsor and donating $5 or more every month to support our monthly program. It's easy. Just go to the WLRN WordPress site and click on the Donate button. You can set up an auto-pay donation for a monthly amount of your choosing with your PayPal, credit, or debit card account. Your funds will help us grow as a grassroots media organization and to continue our work for years to come. WLRN listener sponsors will receive periodic gifts and tokens of our appreciation. Thank you to Elizabeth in Chicago for becoming our newest sponsor. And thank you for tuning in. This is Sekhmet Shiaul signing off this Thursday, December 6th, 2018. This is Jenna DeQuarto, WLRN's under the weather but no worse for the wear sound engineer and producer. We would love to have you join our team. We are looking for new volunteers to conduct interviews, write blog posts, post to our social media pages, and do other tasks to keep us moving forward as a collective of media activist women. Thanks for listening. To volunteer and become a member of our collective of feminist media activists, send a letter of interest and resume to WLRNewsContact at gmail.com. And this is Thistle Patterson signing off this Thursday, December 6th, 2018. Our monthly podcasts are always crafted with tender, loving care and in solidarity with women worldwide. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and SoundCloud, in addition to our WordPress site. 
Thanks for listening. We would love to hear from you, so please share, like, and comment widely. But how will we find our way out of this? What is the antidote for the patriarchal kiss? How will we find what needs to be shown? And then after that, where is home?